You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Growth Show. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, VP of Marketing at HubSpot. And to tell you the truth, I just finished recording this episode with Rick Ridgway, who is the VP of Environmental Affairs at Patagonia, and I am near speechless. Rick is one of the more exceptional people I've ever talked to, uh, and we got to talk a lot about his career, his life, the way the two have blended together, and the impact that the environment as a whole has made on his decision-making and on his perspective. Um, This is a special one, folks. Uh, If you've never tuned into The Growth Show before, this is a great one to start on. Uh, I don't want to belabor this with too much more description because I want to get straight into Rick and his storied, impressive career. So let's start off by having you give us just a 30-second overview of what you do at Patagonia. Uh, My title at Patagonia is uh, Vice President of Public Engagement, and that includes our stakeholder engagement. Uh, The Uh, other companies with whom we engage, uh, NGOs, um, you know, other external stakeholders of the company. I work with all of them. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking, so I represent the company frequently outside of our walls. Right. And you've had a a kind of a winding career. You've had a lot of different roles that you've taken. You've done a lot personally Mm -hmm. as well. Without going through your your full background, I'd love to hear about some of the pivotal moments that you feel like really set you up for what you do right now. Um, I, I've had a, a, a career uh, in many different fronts. Um, through my life, I've uh, been a filmmaker and a writer, a photographer, a storyteller, as they're called today, although we didn't use that word uh, back in the day. Really? I also developed skills uh, in marketing. And uh, I, through consulting, have worked with the outdoor industry uh, all of my uh, work life. So it's been a a mix of all those things together. And that included working with Patagonia uh, in the beginning as a a contract employee, uh, helping them with their storytelling uh, and marketing. Uh, That really started initially through my personal friendship with uh, Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, and our mutual interest in climbing and surfing. Uh, And it was those commitments to outdoor sports uh, that first brought us together, uh, initially um, as climbing partners, as surfing companions, but then also as work companions here at Patagonia. It's kind of amazing that you've been able to take this area that's just been a passion of your life and spill it into your career. And you talk about being a good storyteller. Um, How has being a good storyteller helped you relate to various stakeholders of the company, helped you to sort of paint the picture of where you want the company to head? You know, good storytelling, um, I think when you really parse it out, uh, the, the Greeks understood it uh, originally, and they still have a lot to, to uh, teach us. Uh, you know, essentially what they had to say was that, that, that a good story, uh, you know, identifies uh, people that you're interested in, good characters, and those people have a, a goal that's usually very difficult to reach. Goals that have a lot of obstacles uh, along the way. But then uh, a good story usually results in uh, those people that you care about uh, and the goals that they have that you're bought into uh, getting there in some way or another. 
you know, that's the essence of a good story. Yeah. And knowing how to tell that story uh, is, is, is really good marketing. So that's an interesting concept when you apply it to, you know, a, a company. Right. And we've understood what a good story is at Patagonia right from the very beginning. But just because an initiative is going to create a good story, that's not really why we do it. It has to be aligned with our goals. But we got a pretty good finger to the wind uh, knowing uh, a good story from a not-so-good one. Yeah, and, and speaking of that, you guys have been really known as this more than an environmentally friendly company, a, a company that's really shaping how we treat the environment for the future. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you know, staying true to that vision and staying, staying true to that story of being an environmentally friendly company has um, come about at different points in, in your relationship there. Like, so can you tell me about a time when, you know, the priorities of solving for the environment and solving for the business may have been at odds? Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll answer that question backing up just a bit to explain that uh, in, in addition to the elements I just uh, said about what makes a good story, uh, fundamental to a, a good story is, is that it has to be truthful. Uh, you know, it has to be genuine. It has to be uh, authentic. And uh, Patagonia is, if anything, a, a deeply authentic company, you know, deep and true to its mission to be an, an agent for environmental protection. You know, this company, uh, sometimes we, we say we're as close to uh, a not-for-profit as a, a for-profit uh, probably can ever be. And, and our mission is absolutely, uh, as our mission says, to implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Now, when you're a business making products, and that's your mission, uh, it also sets up inevitable conflicts in that mission. The mission, in, in addition to being a tool for environmental protection, is also to make the best product we can and to make that product with no unnecessary harm, either to the society, to society or to the environment. And, and, and that's a recipe for tension. Uh, it's inevitable that making the very best product you can and making it with no unnecessary harm are going to be mutually exclusive at times or at least require compromise. And, and that happens here all the time. Um, currently, one of the biggest tensions we have is the conflict between um, our goal of uh, coating our uh, rainwear uh, with a durable water-resistant, water-repellent uh, coatings that, again, have the least harm to the environment. Right. And it, and it turns out that the coatings that have the highest functionality are harmful to the environment. And so how do you solve for that? Where, where do you draw the line? It's a really, really interesting conundrum, and it's one that, that we wrestle with here uh, on a daily basis. It's one of the, the main challenges of the company you know, right now. And interestingly enough, we're continuing to use a chemistry, and I have to get in the weeds here a little bit. That's Apologies fine. to everybody who's, uh, you know, wasn't interested in chemistry in college, but there is a coating uh, that uses a technology that is called C6, and it does have some negative impacts on the environment. But the coatings available that have uh, smaller impacts uh, are far less functional and durable. So what happens? Uh, you use those coatings and you get a product that um, really doesn't work very well after a year or two. You use the other coating that causes a little bit more harm to the environment and the garment then can last five or ten years or right. even longer. So 
what choice do you make? Well, after really looking at the, the whole life cycle of a garment, we've realized that if we have a jacket that lasts five or 10 years, then the lifetime footprint of that particular jacket on the environment is smaller than the one that only lasts a year or two, even if the <laughs> coating is a, is little less, immediately a little less harmful to the environment. But if you look at the whole thing, then you start to realize what the best decision is. So, so we go with the coating that's a little bit more harmful to the environment, but at the same time, we have full teams working around the clock, all around the world, looking for a better solution so that we have the best coating that is as durable as possible that causes no impact negative impact on the environment so that's a long explanation but it's and it's complex but it, it's a complex tension that we have to solve here uh, almost on a daily basis yeah no i think that's so interesting and we talk a lot here at hubspot about like you know there there are clear black and whites sometimes so there are things that are good for the company and good for the customer Absolutely. And then there are things that are good for the company and bad for the customer, and we're clearly not going to do those. But then there are things that are sort of in this gray area where, you know, it's, it's good for the company, it's good for the customer, but it may not be good for the industry or it may not be good for their customer. And so having the tool set to be able to recognize, you know, what the gray areas are and then be able to figure out how you navigate that is really interesting, I think. And I like that you know, the transparency that you guys have in, in saying, hey, this, this didn't fall in the complete truth and justice path. There is some bad stuff here, um, but we think net-net it's, it's better, um, and we're working towards something that is uh, even far surpasses that. Yeah, that, we agree with that, of course, and that is our definition of transparency. It is telling the good and the bad. You know, it is the, um, you know, having the moxie or whatever you want to call it to, um, to tell openly uh, to our customers and our other external stakeholders, you know, the harm that we are doing. Um, you re- I, I said a minute ago that the uh, part of our mission statement is, again, building the best product with, with no unnecessary harm. Now, we didn't say the least harm, but I said no unnecessary harm. And that is an interesting phrasing because, it's, yeah. it, first of all, it's, it's grammatically incorrect. It's a double negative. If you take out the double negatives then you're you left with, with the phrase causing harm. And actually, that's our definition of sustainability is that uh, the manufacturing of consumer goods causes harm. Uh, there's no way around that. Yep. Uh, just making stuff is going to have an impact. And consequently, making stuff with no unnecessary impact becomes uh, the goal. But understand that the that for us, we phrased it that way because we want to recognize that we're causing harm. We want to also publicly tell people the harm that we are doing and our efforts to, on a continual basis, reduce that. One of the founding principles we have at Patagonia, one of our founding operator, operating principles is, is uh, a paraphrase of uh, Plato's um, edict to uh, live and examine life. Uh, you know, we... Uh, foundationally believe that we always have to try to understand all the impacts of our actions as deeply and as thoroughly as we can. And when we do that, when we lead an examined life, we inevitably, inevitably will discover that we're doing harm. Right. And when you discover that you're doing harm, then the next principle uh, that we invoke is to do something about it 
to reduce that harm. And to also, as I said before, recognize that even when you do that, you're still going to be doing harm. So if you recognize that, what do you have to do? Well, that's the next principle, and that's to do your penance. That's to not just clean up your act as much as you can, but even then, knowing you're still doing harm, you've got to give back. As a company, uh, you've got to do the most good you can. And, and that philosophy is the origin of our corporate philanthropy, where we give back to uh, the environmental community, you know, 1% of our revenue, not, not our profits, but good year, bad year, uh, rain or shine, we take that 1% right off the top of our revenue, put it into a fund, uh, and return it. Uh, last year, that was uh, about 780 grants to environmental uh, NGOs and organizations uh, around the world that were, you know, working to clean up their uh, backyard forests and rivers and wetlands. Uh, so uh, that's why I said before that the company really does, you know, operate as uh, much as it can like a, a not-for-profit. You know, I, again, to realize that mission that we have as a business to uh, implement solutions to the environmental crisis. And that's why we're in business. And that's why the, that's why we're still private. That's why uh, yeah. the family that owns the company hasn't sold it because uh, we're more effective by uh, staying uh, as a private company, by staying true to our mission, and by using the company as an agent for environmental protection. That's why we're in business. It's not to get uh, the shareholders and the rest of us uh, rich. You know, we live, uh, you know, the, the Chenard family lives a relatively simple life. We all, um, you know, we all fly coach, including Yvonne. Last time I flew with him down to South America, there we are jammed in the back of the plane with everybody else where we should be because as he says, I'm not going to pay those, you know, cut through those exorbitant rates to sit in the front of the plane when we could take that money and give it back to the NGOs. Was there a time that, that you had to give up on something on your path towards this? So you've, you, you've led sort of a very principled life and a very principled career. Um, was there ever a time that you had to give up on something to, to adhere to those principles? Well, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all that gray area, isn't it? It's First class is one, before. I would guess. Yep. Yeah. You know, there's those, all those tensions. Yeah. I mean, giving up, you know, giving up on a first class or business class ticket, that, that doesn't even register. Um, and for us, it didn't even register because um, I think it's, you know, if you, if I had to answer my own question, it's it's looking back as to who we are, the people that made this business and where we came from. And we were all, you know, we all came out of the, most of us who were early in in the company uh, came out of the sports that we make gear for. So we're all climbers and skiers and surfers and, and outdoor people. Uh, and when you're, you know, when you, when you have a life in, in the outdoors and, and you're committed uh, to uh, spending time in wildness, and, and you really get close to what what wildness is, and what natural beauty is, and what that part of our world is. I think you come out of that with a probably a different set of values than than most businesses are founded on. Yeah. And it's that connection with with wildness and the wild part of our world that really is the the uh, the origin of uh, the company's uh, values, and that's where our environmental commitments come from. Because uh, those of us 
um, who've been doing this for a long time, like Yvonne and me, you know, we, in our own lifetimes, we've uh, personally bore witness to the degradation of those places that in our uh, youth we, we love so much. I mean, we've, you know, in my, sometimes people ask me as a mountaineer, what's your favorite climb? And uh, it is a <clears throat> wonderful route I did in the early 80s on Mount Kenya called the Ice Window. It's adjacent to a, another route um, called the Diamond Kulwa that Yvonne did. He did the first ascent of that. And both those routes were uh, ribbons of ice uh, going up the side of Mount Kenya, which uh, is a 17,000-foot peak in East Africa, right wow. on the equator. Yeah. The, the equator literally goes through the flank of the mountain. Uh, and they were magical climbs, ice on the equator. You know, approaching Mount Kenya, you could sometimes see elephants with glaciers uh, in the backdrop. Those glaciers are now receded to the point where uh, they hardly exist anymore. Some have disappeared completely. And the ice route, the ice window, is gone. It's, yeah. it's gone. It's not, it's not there. It has disappeared for perhaps millennia. So we've seen these things happen in our own eyes. Um, you know, wildlands in Patagonia, the place in the end of South America, where when Yvonne and I first started out, were just wild grasslands are now literally small towns and big towns and cities. We've seen the development take away so much of what uh, wildness we had on our planet. We've seen uh, development. firsthand. Degrade places. And now, with our own eyes, we've seen the effects of climate change. So when you see these things with your own eyes and you, and you care about these places, you got to do something about it. And that, so that is, those experiences that are the origins of our environmental values here at Patagonia. Yeah, so that kind of reminds me, I mean, I'll throw a literary reference back at you. It was like Thoreau's really famous line, which said he went into the woods because he wanted to live deliberately. And it strikes me that in your line of work, you have to very intentionally get back into the woods and get back on the glacier and make sure that you are always infused with that kind of perspective so that you can make calls and, and find the right organizations to partner with for your goals. Does that, is that why you do it? And how do you find time to do it? Well, uh, I think for anybody listening to your uh, to your show here, they're pro we're probably all in the same boat of uh, not having enough time to right. accomplish everything that we, that we hope to. You know, we're we're all in that one that one together. But uh, I don't, I don't, maybe one way to answer it is to explain that another value of the company here, a, a foundational value, is um, to offer everybody here. Uh, at Patagonia, a, a balance between their work life and their personal and private and, and home lives. In fact, uh, we try to mix those two things up. Um, that's why we have uh, on-site daycare at Patagonia. That's one of the best in the in the world, where uh, all parents uh, bring their kids in and they spend time down there during the day. In the sometimes people visit our campus here at Patagonia and they. And they'll turn to me and say, God, this place really feels like a family. And yeah. then I say, well, stop for a minute and listen. And you listen. And in the, and the background noise of the, the, the campus is, is kids laughing and playing. Cause it, it, so I say, well, you know what? It feels like a, a family because it is a family. And, you know, we've got flex time. If the surf's good and you can uh, get away uh, without uh, compromising uh, your fellow workers and leaving them hanging, well, leave and go surfing because you can't schedule good surf. Yeah. So 
we do that and the, and the employees, I mean, really appreciate it. It's more than just appreciate it. It like becomes the way everybody shapes their lives here. Uh, and so, boy, you know, it creates a lot of loyalty and, uh, and it helps us succeed as a business, having that balance uh, in our lives that is so core to our own values here. Works both ways. Do you ever think about retirement? Do you think about what you would do at retirement? Yesterday, I um, went down to the Social Security office because uh, I, my financial advisor told me that you know I had to, to register for uh, and then defer retirement, <laughs> getting my Social Security benefits because I don't you know I don't need Social Security benefits. I'm 66, 67 in a few more months, um, so I I won't get any. So I'm, I'm not going to officially retire at all until I'm 70. I guess when I start getting my Social Security, which is such a weird thought for me. Like I can't give you, can't even get my head around it because I'm still in good shape. I don't think of myself as, as being, uh, you know, an old geezer. Yeah, even you're out I surfing. guess maybe I look like it, but, but um, I, I never plan to retire. And in fact, the word retirement kind of ruffles my feathers uh, because core to the word retirement is retire, and and that implies that you're going to pull back, that you're gonna that you're gonna detach in some kind of way. And who would ever want to do that? Um, I want to do just the opposite, you know, remain as active and integrated and attached to uh, things as I can be. And, and, and work is one of them. So I, I never imagine I'll get to a point in my life where I'm, I'm not going to work anymore. Yeah. So actually, that's, that's a great um, transition. I'd love to hear what was the best day of your career? <laughs> you know, that one is is so hard to pull out because um, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of good days here. Um, almost all of them are just great. Yeah, uh, I think I think one of the highlights of my work life right now is that um, every morning uh, when I come to work, I come to work with my granddaughter, uh, whose uh, mother, our oldest daughter, was the first kid in Patagonia's daycare center. Oh, back wow. in the early 80s. She's child number one. And now her daughter's here, my granddaughter. And I get to bring her to work every day. And that makes every day the best day at Patagonia. I mean, it really does. It's, uh, it's magical uh, for me. Um, but of course, like all of us, you know, we're, we got our ups and downs. I uh, was in a meeting with our CEO, Rose, yesterday. And she put her arm around me and said, you know, how you doing? Because I've been through some, you know, really rough experiences yeah. in the last two months with uh, the death of my, one of my very best friends, Doug Tompkins, in a kayaking accident that we were in together. And the company's really circled around me. And, uh, uh, and you know, I told her that, you know what, this morning I came in with uh, my little granddaughter, Coda, and then I got right to work. And I said, you know, today, this was yesterday, I said, yesterday was it was, I, I'm back. Like, I'm back because all you guys are here for me. And I'm back because I'm doing such good work that really does make a difference and it is fulfilling. And uh, that combination of good work with good colleagues is uh, really ended up being good therapy for me right now to, you know, to, to re engage. So, you know, I get that kind of support from the company and, you know, I, I do my very best to give it back just like everybody does here. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible that you have a company that supports you like that. And I'm so sorry to hear about your friend. Did you, did you take much time? Like, did you, what did you do in that time afterwards to recover and to sort of think about 
life after that accident. Yeah, when I got home, you know, Rose said, you know, that's our CEO, Rose said, take as much time off as you need. Uh, it, it, this is your, uh, we're, we're here for you, yeah. uh, not the other way around. And, uh, you know, I, I, I came to work a few weeks later and, and, it, and, and it was because I needed it. I needed, I needed, as I said a minute ago, I needed that good work with good people uh, was uh, just what I needed to, uh, to come back. And, uh, you know, this is not the first time I've come really close. I was in the water with Doug uh, and, you know, I made it and he didn't. Uh, but I was so hypothermic, I lost consciousness and yeah. I, I came close to death, very close. At one point, I didn't think I was going to make it. I, I gave up. But I've been there before. Uh, I was in an avalanche with Yvonne when we both survived and uh, one of our very best friends and companions uh, wasn't so lucky and he died in my arms. Um, you know, I, I've been, there's a couple other uh, incidents in my life as an outdoor adventure where I, I've, I've actually gone over and kind of looked into the dark side where you didn't think you were going to come back and, and, I, and I have. So I, I've been there before and I've discovered through, the, through those experiences that um, the, the, the ultimate and biggest value of them is what we should all be doing every day of our lives. And, and, and that is, uh, as frequently as you can, uh, pausing, just making a little pause, uh, to look around you, to acknowledge, uh, the good people around you, to acknowledge the beauty around you, uh, even as simple as, uh, standing outside and feeling, feeling the, the sun warm your skin, that learning how to, take the most value from the simplest things in our life, it, it really is the, the secret sauce. And uh, it's too bad that sometimes we have to almost die to remember to do those simplest things in our life and to, and to, to, and to, to just understand deeply uh, the value of those small things because there's nothing small about them in that context. Yeah. I mean, it... If you'll allow it, I mean, it strikes me as a life that is incredibly lived in a very raw and thoughtful way. Do you hope the same for your granddaughter? Do you think she'll take a similar course? Well, I don't. Uh, my wife and I celebrated our 34th anniversary last week, and, um, and we never uh, expected uh, our three children to follow our paths at all, uh, tried to as parents, uh, show them, you know, as many things as widely as we could. And, um, we're both very different people, which was, uh, been great as parents because we have a wide variety of insights and values to share with them. But no, I don't expect, never expected them, uh, to follow our footsteps and they haven't. And I don't expect our granddaughter to do that, but, but what I do hope all of them do, and it's certainly true with the kids we have is to, um, is to uh, develop a, a sense of curiosity and a, and a capacity for joy and wonder. And this go out into your lives, um, you know, with your ear to the wind for, uh, uh, for, for new, new paths uh, and interests that you might pursue. Right. Um, I sometimes tell young people that um, when they ask my advice on things like that, that uh, probably the last thing you want to do is, a, is, is, is get into a career path. I really discourage people from doing that. For <laughs> I, I really try to 
help people uh, see their careers not as a line where you start uh, at one place on a graft and you move up in this kind of straight upward trajectory line so that at retirement, to go back to that conversation, you, you, this is where you're at on that graph. I think it's much, much more interesting to have a graph that goes all over the place right. because, because that line has found a new opportunity that it never expected to encounter before where all of a sudden the line goes in a complete different, even opposite direction. Um, that, that, uh, you know, that capacity for, um, uh, for being able to go in a, in a whole different direction because something's happened or you've had some uh, opportunity come uh, in front of you that you didn't expect at all, you know, that, that's where I think uh, you know, uh, a, a real sense of wonder and joy out of your life uh, can reside. So I really encourage everybody to, 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 be, to have that flexibility, to have that courage uh, to uh, take a shot at something uh, they didn't perhaps at the outset uh, expect. Yeah. I, um, in one of the books I wrote one time um, about, uh, and I've written several books about my climbs and my journeys. Uh, and one of them I said that, you know, the, the best journeys are, are the ones, uh, you know, that uh, teach you lessons that at the outset you never even thought to ask. They, uh, the, they're the journeys that, that answer questions that at the outset you, you never thought to ask. That Again, uh, journeys that um, give you uh, experiences uh, that you didn't anticipate and, 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 and teach you new things that uh, you never even uh, thought you might encounter when you first started out. So it, I think that that's actually a great transition into my last question, which is you've been shaped tremendously by experiences in your life. And I think the um, those experiences are have been incredibly formative. What about people? Who are the people who have influenced you along the way? Maybe given you hard feedback. Maybe given you encouragement. Uh, when you think about that short list of people who have shaped you in your career, who's on it? Well, um, you know, Yvonne, Yvonne's right up there. Uh, you know, he. Uh, I've really uh, learned so much about. Uh, about business, uh, you know, from him, uh, my friend, Doug Tompkins, who, uh, you know, just died in the water with me, uh, just what's only now a few weeks ago. Um, he's one of the, uh, most insightful human beings I've, I've ever encountered. Uh, I've, I've learned so much from him. Uh, and it took me, uh, years and years, uh, of friendship with Doug, uh, to realize that in his case, uh, what underlaid, uh, all of his wisdom and all of his insights and all his knowledge was this deep, deep commitment to uh, beauty uh, that he uh, learned at, at a very early age and learned it mostly in the, uh, in the out of doors and, and how that uh, commitment to uh, both acknowledging and celebrating the beauty around us, but then integrating it into all your work and making beauty one of the core goals of your actions and what you did became a, a, a really insightful lesson for me that I, um, that I pulled uh, from him. Um, I uh, have been an avid reader all my life, and there are uh, authors that uh, have inspired me that I look up to. Um, Can you give us a recommendation? Yeah, I have, uh, as an early, in my 20s, I, 
Uh, I, my favorite writer was Peter Matheson uh, and, you know, his uh, wonderful books of his trips and journeys uh, outdoors, uh, his novels that uh, almost always uh, included characters in some natural setting. Uh, and I was able, uh, you know, later in my life to uh, become friends with, with Peter, who, who died last year from, from cancer. But, uh, oh, I, he was certainly one of my uh, guiding lights and mentors. Um, one of the seminal uh, books for me was uh, Peter Matheson's uh, Snow Leopard, uh, describing his journey in the 1970s to a very remote corner of the Himalayas with the conservation biologist George Schaller. And then George himself became a friend of mine later in my life, and I would have never guessed that when I was reading that book. It's my favorite book back when I was in my 20s. Oh, that's uh, a cool moment. And, and, and George became, you know, George is probably the most, um, the leading conservation biologist in the world. I, I don't think there's any scientist who's had a, a bigger impact on uh, conservation uh, and wildlife production than, than George. Um, and I remember... Um, you know, George telling me one time that uh, the secret, Rick, is when you get up in the morning uh, to stretch your arms uh, and don't say, okay, this morning, today, I'm going to save the world. You stretch your arms and you say, okay, today, I'm going to focus on saving one little discrete part of it. <laughs> so that's what I learned from, from George. But I've been lucky to have... Uh, a number of people uh, like him uh, in, in my life. Uh, and now I'm at a stage where I, I'm hopeful that I'm able to uh, also uh, give a few insights to uh, young people. I, whenever I get a chance to do that, I, I, I take the opportunity. I think, as uh, I told you at the beginning of our conversation, uh, with my job now as the head of so-called public engagement at Patagonia, where I'm yeah. uh, often outside our walls uh, speaking, uh, you know, about our company, and what we do and how we do it. I often speak to uh, universities and business school. And uh, those opportunities are my favorites, I think. Uh, you asked before what's some of my best days here at Patagonia, and, and some of the best have been actually outside our walls when I'm talking to young people. And, you know, I get to tell them the stories. Uh, I get to answer the questions. I get to try to uh, inspire them. But then I get to look in their eyes and, uh, you know, see their passion uh, that is burning bright. And, and therein, of course, lies the, the hope for all of us. Well, Rick, I could talk to you all day long. Thank you so much for taking the time. I don't want to take too much more of yours, but here's hoping that tomorrow you wake up and you uh, save a little bit more of the world. Oh, thank you, Megan. It's been <laughs> my pleasure. Bye, Rick. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear feedback from you on iTunes, or you could send us a note at growthshow at hubspot.com. We'll see you next week on The Growth Show.